0: So 1 Peter 5, starting in verse 1, says, Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and the partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not only compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor Yet with lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So tonight we're going to take a look at people who are leaders in the church. And also this, this whole chapter deals with elders and also future heads of the household. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. One of the things that we should understand right off the bat is that God created all things. God is the creator and we are the creatures. So this is his world, right? So he has ordained how that things should work in the universe that he created. And so for mankind, God has given instruction to how that we should lead people. Both in government and also as well as in the church, in church government. And so God has ordained that sheep need a shepherd. And the shepherd's job is not an easy job at all. The shepherd's job is very difficult. But God hasn't just left those who He's elected to be in church leadership alone or on their own with no instruction. Instead, He's given really great and incredible instruction to elders by the grace and the sovereignty of God himself through his word. And so elders are held to a a much higher standard than sheep are, so they have to be really very careful and intentional about how that they lead. So they don't just lead people. Elders are leading the very bride of Christ, God's bride. That's a, a very sobering responsibility. Yet this passage, it's not just dealing with church leadership, but it's also dealing with family leadership. But first we have to ask the question here, and that's what is an elder? What is an elder in Scripture? So the word elder, the word overseer, or the word uh, pastor or preacher all means the same thing. And there's really no distinctions in Scripture whenever we're looking at these words. So anytime you see the word elder, overseer, or pastor... They mean the, exactly the same thing. And we've got a little bit of reading in First Timothy that I want to go over that gives us exactly an idea of what an elder is supposed to be. So First Timothy 3, 1 through 7 says, It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer, then, must be above reproach. The husband of one wife temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert so that He will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. And so we have a little bit of instruction here just giving us an idea of what it is that an elder is responsible to do and what the qualifications are of an elder. We also have Titus 1, 5 through 9. It says, for this reason... I left you in Crete that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you, namely if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion, for the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be both able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. Uh, I think these are especially these last couple of things we're going to take a a pretty closer look at. And some of you guys are going to be called to this responsibility in the future. And this is part of why that I'm laboring on telling you guys what what it is to be an elder, because many of you here could very well be called to this. Some of you may be called to be a, a pastor or to preach. And the other reason, of course, that we're looking at this is because it's God's word. And we take every single word of God's word seriously. We're not going to skip over any of it. We're going to go through it. And we're going to, to try to understand it as best as we can. But for the father. For anybody who's, a few, who's going to be a father one day. They're also responsible to lead the, the, the body of Christ in their own families. So a father is kind of like a, a type of an elder in their own home. And it's, it's no mistake that. Scripture calls God's children his sheep, right? Um, that's no mistake, because just as, just as sheep goes astray and need to be led back to safety, sometimes Christians do that. Sometimes Christians do that. And just as sheep, when they're left on their, on their own, they can't survive, so are we if we're without God and without good godly leadership. We all need to be a, a part of a local body, a local church body. So that's... Um, that's something that's very important for us to understand. Um, and also, you know, sheep don't have a, a real good means to defend themselves either. But if we look very closely at God's word, we can see how that God tells us and warns us about these false teachers that come to us in, in sheep's clothing that scripture calls wolves. So this these are things that are really important for us to understand. And we have... People that God has put in charge uh, to to help to steer all of this, to help us to understand and see some of these things. So let's take a look real quick at verse one, and we're going to look a little bit closer. It says, "Therefore, I, ex- I exhort the elders among you, as a fel- as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed." Now, this word "therefore" reminds us of the context. Of 1 Peter, and it, the overarching context—context context of uh, First Peter—is really faithfulness, faithfulness during suffering. It's faithfulness during suffering because this church had endured great, great suffering, and it's really easy to get distracted from God's kingdom whenever the earthly kingdom that you're a part of hates you and despises you. And that's what the world does to those who believe in in Jesus Christ. But not only is God's flock easily distracted by the world and by all the things that draws us away, but sometimes shepherds can can be distracted also. Um, Elders, you see, are not immune to the stresses and to the worries that everybody here in this room faces. Uh, They're... They're, they're exactly like we are, right? And so they face the same difficulties that all people have to face. They're not superhuman. They're ordinary men who've been given really an extraordinary call that they, that they didn't really ask for. And so this is a reason why we should really be praying for our elders. This is not a very easy job. And the, the call of God to be in leadership is a extremely difficult Job, It's a hard calling. And so what Peter's doing here is he's exhorting elders to press on and to stay focused on this mission that's at hand. Right. And so we should note here also that this word elders here is in the plural form. And it's not just in the singular form. So God never instructed a sole leader of the church. God has elected that a group of faithful men, they carry on this mission. They're the ones that, that need to be guiding the church. Not, it's a bad idea if you just have a, a Moses example, right? Just one person in leadership, but there's a plurality of elders. There should be a group of men that, that have this task. And so God's given qualifications, and we just went through some of these qualifications of the role that this role is difficult, and it's a very serious role. And I've got a quote here from John MacArthur. John MacArthur. MacArthur said the task of a shepherd carries with it an unequal responsibility before the Lord of the church. While it includes the positive elements of spiritual leadership toward maturity and Christ's likeness and spiritual guardianship to protect the flock, its chief objective is the feeding of the flock through the skillful preaching of te- and teaching of divine revelation, which is the source of all those positive Elements and so what MacArthur's saying here is that church leadership should have a first priority, and that is to edify the the household of God. Right? It's should be the things that is the most important is to edify the, ch- the church. Right? And so evangelism is important. We we can't dismiss evangelism. It's it's extremely important, but we can't get this backwards. Right? First priority is to edify the church. If you remember that. Peter, whenever he was uh, talking to Jesus, right after Jesus was risen from the dead, Jesus told him three times, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. What does that mean? That means teach them. It means to help them to mature. It means help them to understand theology and doctrine and help them to have a right interpretation of scripture to spend the time to do this and then peter also goes on and he says as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of christ so peter here is identifying himself in a relational way to elders in the church he's he's trying to identify as being an ordinary man just like they are he isn't calling attention to him being an apostle right he's not he's trying to to, to throw that card out, but he's, he's trying to identify with all the elders that he's talking to, which is everyone who ever belongs to the body of Christ. And this word witness here that he's talking about, this is a, a really important word. It's not, it's one that if you just do a casual reading over this text, it's easy to just pass over and not really understand what this word witness means. And so, because Christians during this time, They were often killed for their testimonies. Uh, The term witness became very synonymous with the word martyr. The word martyr. And a, a martyr is a person who was killed for their witness of Jesus Christ. And so Peter here also reminds them of why their mission is so important, right? Their mission is so important, this says, because of the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Because the sufferings of Christ. So here... One of the things that Peter goes to immediately is the gospel, is the gospel. This is the primary and most central thing that we that we need to be teaching. He reminds us here of the gospel that Jesus Christ suffered for you, that he didn't have to suffer for you. He wasn't forced to suffer for you, but he wanted to. So Christ suffering on the cross is the only way that we can be reconciled to a God who's perfectly holy. So faith in our our Lord Jesus Christ, faith alone is the only way that we can have eternal life. And salvation, of course, we understand is a gift. It's a free gift that's given to us by God's amazing grace. And so Peter here is reminding us that Christ suffered. He suffered for us so that we should also not be expected to be treated any differently whatsoever, right? Because we should not ever be surprised that the world hates us that the world doesn't like us because it hated Christ it crucified Jesus we're not going to be treated any differently and so that's um, he's, he's just exhorting us and telling us and giving us the gospel so that we can have that hope whenever the world comes against us that we are to press on but you know he goes on and he also talks not just about suffering But he talks about being glorified. And we're going to talk about that just here in a second. But let's look at verse two real quick. It says, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. So this is a very sobering call to elders to shepherd, not their flock. But this says the flock of God. To shepherd the flock of God. And what does that look like? And it really in the simplest terms, I can boil this down really to two things. And that's to clearly teach the word of God. And of course, that's going to include counseling. Um, and then number two is marking and exposing false teachers or wolves. And for some strange reason, this is, seems to be very difficult for Church churches today in America, there's this tendency to make church about other things to be relevant to culture, to be entertaining, to be moralistic, to be therapeutic or just outright narcissistic sometimes. But what does it look like? What does it look like to actually shepherd a church? What is this? What does this job look like? It's not to be relevant to culture. That's not one of the things. It's not to be entertaining. It's not to teach people just morality or morals. It's not to make people feel good about themselves. But the job of an elder is to clearly and reverently teach the flock of God, as this talks about here, the word of God. It's to give wise and biblical counsel. Wise and biblical counsel. Not just personal opinions, right? Not just personal opinions but biblical counsel. It's to guard theology. It's to guard, to guard doctrine and to, um, to take this role very seriously that God has assigned you. I've got a quote here from John Calvin. It says, The pastor ought to have two voices, one for gathering the sheep and another for warding off and driving away wolves and thieves. The scripture supplies him with the means in doing both. For he who, who is deeply skilled in it will be able both to govern those who are teachable and to refute the enemies of the truth. Now why should those who are, who are not called to be elders here in this room pay attention to this? Why is this important for you guys to pay attention to if you're not called to be an elder and you're not an elder? Well, first of all, I think this is going to help you in the future to find out what, what to look for when you're looking to find a, a local body. If you guys move off to another town, if you go to college somewhere, understanding some of these principles is gonna help you to be able to find a good and biblical church, one that has good and strong and faithful leadership for you to be a part of. Because really, a, a, an educated sheep, should they shouldn't be just looking at, for something that's culturally relative, right? Uh, or something that's entertaining, or moralistic, or therapeutic, or all these things that we've talked about earlier. But we should really be looking for a good church that has solid biblical leadership that clearly teaches the Word of God, and also wards off wolves, just as Cal- as Calvin just said in this quote I just read. But another reason that we should be paying attention to this, if you if you're not called to be an elder, and is just to to be able to. To help elders whenever they, you see one of them maybe starting to, to fall into some sin. And this is one of the things that we're going to look at in some verses here in a second that, that deals with this. One of the, the statements that I love, uh, a quote, a famous quote, is The best of men are men at best. The best of men are men at best. That's one of the things that we should always keep in mind. So, elders not only should clearly teach the Word of God and give wise biblical counsel, but they should also not be afraid to call out wolves. And so I've got a verse here. And I think that the KJV says this best. And So I've got a, the KJV version of Romans 16, 17 in your notes there. It says, Now I beseech you, brethren. It says, Mark them which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. So this verse is telling you. It's okay to mark a false teacher. It's okay to call them by name. That's what it means to mark them. This is actually a military term. It's an archery term, right? You set your mark, and that's what you're doing. You're marking clearly those that are wolves in the church, and then you, it says that you should avoid them. Mark them and avoid them. You don't overlook them. You don't make excuses for them. You mark them. It means you call them by name. You tell them stay away from these people avoid this preacher avoid this teacher avoid this group that's literally what this means you mark them and you tell your people to avoid them In 1 Timothy 5:19 through 20 it says do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses those who continue in sin so those elders who are continuing in sin it says rebuke in the presence of all. Rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. So this, this is saying to not, not hear unwarranted accusations against an elder, not just to, to hear rumors. We should never listen to rumors. But this is saying that if two or three witnesses bring a charge against an elder who is guilty of sin, Teaching falsely, teaching error, and not repentant. Refusing to repent of this. It says, rebuke this elder in the presence of all. In other words, call them out. Is this embarrassing? Yes, this is embarrassing, but this is the word of God. And this is the thing that we're going to stick to. Rebuking or calling out by name false teachers should be done very carefully also. We have to say that it has to be done very carefully, it has to be done very biblically, and it has to do only, you can only do it after tremendous research. You really need to know what you're talking about, right? And you need to be able to, to prove your case if you're going to bring an accusation against an elder or against a false teacher. And then Peter goes on and says, exercising oversight, not only under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God. So what is this telling us about an elder? It's saying that an elder shouldn't wing it. You can't be compulsive in leadership. You have to be sharp. You have to be pointed. You have to be accurate. You can't be lazy in your studies. You have to know how to navigate the word of God. An elder, they're not given to just um, freedom to give their personal opinions. But this says to shepherd, how, it tells us. It says, how do, we, how do they shepherd? What does it say here? It says, according to the will of God. According to the will of God, not according to their own opinions or ideas, but according to the will of God. In other words, to not go any further and to not uh, go any less than what Scripture itself instructs us to do. That's, the, that's, what, we're, that's what an elder is bound to do, is to be able to teach clearly. What Scripture says, and not go not go beyond, and not leave anything out. That's just simply that's what this is talking about. And then on in verse three, it says, "Nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock." And so this is important for us to understand because we're all fallen creatures, and it's easy. For us to, to forget that. It's only by God's grace that any of us are saved. And any of us are here in this room. And so it's only by God's grace that we're made capable of bringing the only source of life to this world. It's amazing that God uses us to spread the gospel and to share the gospel with people. That we are the, re- we're, we are the source, the resource that God has Decided by his own sovereignty to bring this amazing word of life to all people, and so it's really easy I, I think for for pride to enter into to our hearts whenever sometimes when're when we 're put into a a role of leadership and so pride sometimes can it can t- take us like a, a lion taking a sheep and so the the word elder leader or pastor here it brings it brings certain respect. It's, it's biblical that we should respect our elders, we should respect our pastors. It's something that we're responsible to do. We should be praying for them. But it's also easy for our sin natures to make us feel like we're really something whenever we're not. It's, it's really easy for us to, to hear uh, all, the, all the compliments and the pats on the back and all the things that, that people say to us that's good and uh, it all go to our head. <laughs> and so Peter here is warning elders to be watchful, to be watchful of this lion called pride that's just that's wanting to, to devour them, to be careful and attend and pay a lot of attention of how that they treat the bride of Christ. So you could just imagine if you're Jesus and you leave your bride in charge of Of these people that uh, are called elders who would be a a good friend you can imagine if you were in another country and you got engaged to your wife-to-be and you had to come back home you had to come to america to make some arrangements and so you leave your bride to be in another country in the hands of a a well-trusted friend and that well-trusted friend as you're gone you find out has abused your future bride-to-be has manipulated her has mistreated her? What would, how do you think you would feel about that? How do you think you would feel if, if that trusted friend did that to the person that you were engaged to? Well, you can just imagine this is the way that Jesus looks at elders, right? Elders are the ones that have been put in charge of the bride of Christ. And so it's a very, very serious thing. What Peter here is doing is he's trying to, to give warning, but he's also exhorting he says here, to, um, but proving to be examples to the flock. But proving to be examples to the flock. This is not something that's very easy. Because you say, well, an example of what? Well, it's an example of Jesus Christ. So Christianity isn't something that's for the cowardly. It's not easy to be an example to the flock of Jesus, Jesus Christ, right? And so, church leadership—you can just imagine—if we're if it's, as hard as it is for us in the world, in the school, in the workplace, to be Christians, to be godly examples, because of all the the things that come against us and want to draw us away from God. As we talked about earlier, elders are not exempted this either. That's why we should be praying for them and. And encouraging them. And so God doesn't call any of us to an easy road. It's not easy to be a Christian. It's not an easy life. He calls us to total and 100% commitment to himself, no matter what people think about us and no matter what people do to us. But the good thing is we understand that we're not alone in this, that we have the Holy Spirit, right? God not only calls us, but he also empowers us to do what it is that he's called us to do, even when it seems impossible. So in reality, Christian leadership, as well as Christian life, would be impossible if you were just left to your own. And so Ephesians 3, 20 through 21 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever." And ever. So not only are elders called to be an example, but they're also going to be rewarded for their faithfulness. They're going to be rewarded for their faithfulness. And let's read about this in verse four. It says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. This is true, not only just for elders, but for all of God's children. Right. Jesus Christ is coming back one day. Jesus is coming back one day, and so are we ready for that? Are you ready for Christ to come back? He's coming back, and it could be at any moment. So are we looking to the sky? Are we faithful with the things that he's given us? Are we telling people about him? Are we telling people that Jesus Christ is the only way to have salvation? He's the only way to be made righteous before a God who's perfectly holy. And Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd here, as it's talking about. He's the chief shepherd. So he rewards the faithful with this crown that never fades. This is talking about an everlasting crown. This is of glory. I go back to the words that Augustine said, I think I've mentioned it before here in in that God uh, crowns his own works. I think that's such an amazing statement, understanding that God's the one that did all of the work for us on our behalf. And even though God did all the work for us, he gives us a crown as if we did it ourselves. And we know that anything good that we ever do is is just something that's God God working through us through the power of the Holy Spirit and so here what we need to understand is this isn't a bad deal at all right this isn't a bad deal I mean we're, we're talked we're, we're given a lot of verses about suffering about how difficult it's going to be to be a Christian about how hard it is but I mean in the end we get this crown of glory that God himself is going to place upon us. And we're going to have everlasting peace, everlasting life with Jesus Christ, the very one who died for us so that we could do this. And so we need to glorify God in our lives. We need to glorify God in everything that we do. And in the end here, this is saying that you're going to receive this crown of glory and so this, to me, is one of the, the most amazing things about being a Christian. We didn't earn it. We, can't, we didn't deserve it. There's no way that we can do that. Jesus Christ did all the work for us. But yet we get this crown. We get eternal life for our faithfulness to God. And So if you guys don't know him, if there's anybody here that doesn't know him, now's the time. Now's the time to, to bow a knee to God, to ask him to save you. Let's pray.